Our scripture reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 13. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I read an article recently about empathy, and the, the article was written by someone about my age, and she remembered growing up in the, going to elementary school in the 70s and learning about empathy. She said they even wrote letters to Russian boys and girls, not, they were never sent, but just the idea of writing a letter to a Russian boy and girl to get the sense of what their life was like. And the idea of empathy that I was taught and she was taught was that Empathy means you try to understand another person, the other person. Be they very different from you or very similar, the idea was to put yourself in their shoes to think about what their life was like. And she wrote this article because she was looking around and seeing that that concept didn't seem to be as strong as it used to be. And did some, she did some research and discovered that beginning in the year, about, about the year 2000, empathy, in that understanding of it, declined dramatically. There was a study that was done year after year of young people and answering questions like, if I see someone in trouble that I don't know, is it my responsibility to care for them, to do something about it? Questions like, I try to understand someone before I criticize them. And it, was, it found, this study found, that there was a 40% drop in people agreeing to those kind of, in young people agreeing to those kind of statements between the 80s and 2010. Now, you're probably, some of you might remember, those of you who watch sitcoms, in 1998, the last the ending of Seinfeld. They were all in trouble because they didn't care about somebody who was in trouble. They were arrested because of a law that said, you have to care about people. And that was 1998. And it was since then that people have cared less and less about others.
And so we say, is empathy dead? But the studies have found something that is actually, for me, rather alarming. They have found that empathy is actually very strong in the world today. We think terrorists have no empathy whatsoever. But terrorists, according to these studies, have actually an elevated level of empathy for people who are just like themselves. And that is part of the explanation of why our society looks the way it does right now. People are in one camp or another. They care very much for people who are similar to themselves, who agree with themselves, and they care very little for people who do not. There was a report of a, the wife of a white supremacist who said she had been being abused. And many people said, who cares? Because she chose to be married to this horrible man. And yet, she was being abused. Should we not care, even if we disagree with her choice of husband, that her choice of husband is causing her grief? I wish we could get back to that kind of empathy that put ourselves in the shoes of other people and tried to understand where they are coming from rather than just the people who are like ourselves. I don't know when that might happen. But in the church, in the church, we should exhibit that kind of empathy. We should care about people unlike ourselves. We should reach out to people unlike ourselves with help and hope, with compassion and with grace. Why? Because Jesus did it, right? Jesus humbled himself, and that's what this passage tells us. But first I wanna talk about pride. Um, Pride is what leads us to think that we're better than other people, we're more important than other people, people like us are better than people who are not like us. So we, and, and I'm gonna tell you something, even 10 years ago when I was still doing youth ministry, this topic was very difficult to teach. Very difficult to teach. I would say God opposes the proud, God dislikes pride, and kids would say, wait a minute. Pride is what we're supposed to have. Pride is what we are all about. We're supposed to have pride in our team, pride in our school, pride in our accomplishments, pride in the trophies that we have for showing up, uh, pride for, for all the stuff that, that, that we do. Pride is what we're taught to do. Pride is who we're taught to be. And to say to them, pride is the first, the root of all sin, is a highly challenging concept. And I wonder if that teaching and how that teaching about pride as sin and the teaching of the church of pride, uh, the teaching of the church as pride as sin and the teaching of the world that pride is what you're supposed to be might be part of the reason the church is losing a generation. And maybe we have to understand pride a little differently in different contexts. Yes, it's fine to have pride in your team, to be excited about your friends, to be excited about your school, to be excited about and grateful for the country in which you live. But if those kind of things set you up against everyone else and say, oh, people who are in my school are better 
than people in another school. Now, people say that all the time, you know, rivalries and everything, but you're not supposed to really believe it. I'm tell- you're not supposed to really believe it. People can be very patriotic and love our country, but when that patriotism goes into nationalism where we think that we're the most important and other countries don't matter, other countries are not worthy, that's sin. That's prideful sin. And not only is pride sinful, it's also foolish. William Law spoke of the reasonableness of humility. He said, you know, if you're rational, you look at yourself and you say, yeah, I'm good at this and I'm not so good at that. I'm good at this, but not so good at that. I have some issues, but I'm stronger than most in this way. And other people are stronger in the things that I'm weak at. Other people have issues I don't, but I have issues they don't. It is rational and reasonable to realize that I can't do all of life myself. It is rational and reasonable to realize that we were created to work together and some of us have gifts that others don't and it it works best if you let those people exercise their gifts while you exercise yours and together we accomplish what we want to accomplish. Pride is irrational. It makes no sense to think that I am the center of the universe. It makes no sense to think that I can do everything by myself. Someone who I relied on quite a bit for this sermon, Scott Hazy, who's a a, um, professor at Calvin Seminary, said this. It's just sick to think that everyone should pay attention to you in a way that you don't pay attention to them. It is just sick to think that other people should pay attention to you in a way that you refuse to pay attention to them. Now think about it. Just let that settle in. We know people that very clearly do that. But do you? Do I? There are occasions I think all of us fall into that. We want, we want to tell our story but we're not really ready to listen to the story of someone else. We think we're in dialogue when we're actually just dominating the conversation. We want advancement, and we don't ever think about the other person who also wants advancement. So pride is foolish, but pride is also sinful. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Matthew 12, or 23, 12, Jesus says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Proverbs 3, 34, God mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Make sure as you're proud of your country or proud of your team or proud of your city or proud of your family that it is a kind of healthy pride and not this foolish, sinful pride that says my country, my family, my school are better than everyone else and deserve my attention where others don't. Be very careful about this. 
Nigel Hamilton wrote a biography of, of Joseph Kennedy, you know, the father of the Kennedy political dynasty. And he, in, in researching this biography, he discovered that Joseph Kennedy would banish from his home anyone, including friends of his children, who didn't give him enough attention or who didn't agree enough with his positions. They were told, go away, you're not allowed in this house anymore. So, the people that ended up being allowed to stay were fairly boring people. You know, you never had a disagreement. Everything was, he was able to lead all the conversations, all the thinking, and surrounded himself with people who acquiesced and agreed to everything he said, and therefore he was never challenged. The assumption underlying that kind of thinking is, I know best, all by myself, you don't know, your perspective has no value, so I don't need to acknowledge you as a fellow worthwhile human being. It assumes that I am always right. But I am not always right. Neither are you, and neither was Joseph Kennedy. The fact is, we all have different perspectives, but those perspectives all have varying degrees of reliability. And it is foolish for us to think that, uh, that we have the only valid way of seeing things. The key to humility is to recognize humanity. If you look at someone else and your first response is to judge them, to think less of them, remember their humanity. We said it during the, the Soul Keeping uh, series that to, to look at someone else and realize that they have a soul created in the image of God should change our perspective of that person. The same is true here. When we look at someone else and realize that they share our, the common humanity that we share as well, that should change our perspective on them. If we ever think that they are less than us or less worthy than we are, And we have the best example of this by far in Jesus Christ. This passage, uh, verses 5 through 11, are thought to be a, a hymn of the church, of the very early church. So Paul is quoting a hymn in his letter to them, speaking about Jesus Christ who had the glory of God in heaven, but humbled himself, chose to give up that glory, chose to become human and then, in his humanity, chose to be a person who suffered more than most, who was willing to die, even a horrific death on a cross. Why? Because he took on humanity. He decided to take on humanity. C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you really think about it, when you consider the glory that he had in heaven, all of the power and authority and the wonder and the joy, and for him to choose to become human, it's as if you woke up tomorrow morning as a garden slug. And I don't even think that captures it well enough. 
I don't think we think enough about the glory that Jesus Christ gave up to become human. It says here that he emptied himself or he made himself nothing. And I think that has been debated for years of what this, the Greek word is kenosis, what he emptied himself of. But I think it's interesting that Jesus Christ took on humanity and in taking on something else actually lost so much. He lost the glory. He lost the recognition. He lost the ability to do whatever he wanted to do for he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, as Hebrews 4 says, we have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. He is able to understand on a deep level what it is like to be you, to be me, to have the struggles, the temptations that we have. Our God chose, the creator of all the universe decided to have empathy for those with whom he had very little in common. And he did that because of the love of God. Can we not also choose to have empathy for those who are different than we are? To give up something, our own sense of rights or privileges or whatever, our own sense of superiority, which is, as we already determined, a foolish thing to have. Can we not give that up as those who say we follow Jesus Christ? That's the logic here that Paul is using when he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have any of these things, and you do, you know, then make my joy complete by having the same love. Make my joy complete by being like Jesus Christ who considered the needs of others above his own. This is a radical thought, folks. And this is a very radical thought in light of what we're told to do in our culture, to look out for number one, to put our needs first. And if we radically live this countercultural concept, we will hopefully and prayerfully, and I believe, change the world. Because people will see that this way is good. Empathy is wonderful. It is a great thing, a uniting thing, to care about each other. Pride naturally separates us from other people. Joseph Kennedy had very few in his circle because he excluded so many people. And if it got down to it, he might have ended up only himself, if anyone in his family or anyone else disagreed with him. It, pride is naturally dividing people from each other. It's a divisive thing. Humility unites us. And God's goal for us is to be united. Jesus said, may they be one, just as you and I are one in his prayer before his crucifixion. God's desire is to bring us together in his eternal kingdom. 
to no longer have divisions based on whatever those divisions might be based on. So we wonder, why then is pride, does pride come so naturally to us? Why do we find ourselves automatically thinking these thoughts of, well, that person? I believe it's twofold, at least. One is that the enemy, the devil, knows that pride is the antithesis of God. Pride is the antithesis, the opposite of godliness. So wouldn't he want us to be proud? Wouldn't he want us to think ourselves better than others so that we divide ourselves away from others and be the opposite of what God desires that we want to be? Yeah. But I think the other reason that we feel proud, we want to exalt ourselves, is a little harder to see at first glance. But it is that we were created for glory. You were created for glory. You were created to enjoy God's glory. Jesus left that glory in order to come to earth, but then as this hymn tells us, God exalted him. And look at how that works. Jesus, step by step, and the hymn is beautiful. It goes step by step as Jesus humbles himself, and then step by step as God exalts him to the, so that his name is above every name, and he is acknowledged as Lord by all. But step by step, the Father does not humble the Son. Jesus humbles himself, and God exalts him. You cannot exalt yourself. You can say great things about yourself. You can try to convince the rest of the world that you're all that, but, and foolish people might believe you. But you can't truly exalt yourself. The only way up is down. Jesus demonstrated that by humbling himself and then God exalted him. As you humble yourself, as you humble yourself in relationship with others, you have the joy of new relationships, relationships with people who are different than you that bring richness and, and, and meaning to your life. When you humble yourself and live a life in obedience to God, you find the peace of God and glimpses of God's glory. And as you humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, acknowledging that you can't earn your salvation, that you are not everything you think you are, that you need a Savior, then God exalts you into salvation into his kingdom, into his eternal promises, into his glory. Paul says our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. A weight of glory, a, 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 a glory that is bigger than our ability to take it in. You were created for that. It's no wonder you want to feel good about yourself. But the way to truly feel that 
is to humble yourself before God, humble yourself before the rest of humanity, humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ, receive salvation from him, and God will lift you up. It is God's job to lift us up, not ours. It is our job to humble ourselves. Remember, we talked about, um, in soul-keeping, this phrase, humility. And we often think of humility as saying, well, I'm no good. I'm not good at that. And secretly, we know we're pretty good at that. So we hope that people believe us that we're not good at that, and then we show them we're actually good at that. You know the game, right? We think that's humility, but that's not humility. That's just a game. Humility isn't anything other than thinking of yourself less. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The way to do that is to consider others, to consider the needs of others, the hopes of others, the dreams of others. And emulate our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself so that we could know God, so that we could, in due time, be exalted and receive the glory that he has for us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us, for the humility of Jesus Christ, who by any measure would not be one who needs to be humble, the creator of everything, but chose to be humble, to embrace our humanity so that we can be embraced by your divinity. I pray that you would help us oh, bring, bring to mind those, those thoughts. When we, when we have those thoughts, those impulses that say, I'm better, even if we don't say it with those words, br bring conviction to our hearts. For those words divide us from others who share our common humanity. Those words divide us from others who need to know your grace and your goodness. Help us to be people who truly, truly trust in you and truly, truly love others. Lord, we lift up to you today those who are on that prayer page in our bulletins and others that we know of who are struggling with various illnesses or distress. We pray that you would bring hope and help to them. We also lift up to you this church and pray that you would make us a beacon of hope into this community, that you would draw people here and help them here to find you, to find the hope that only you can give, to find a community, a family that will embrace and love them and encourage them. We pray, Lord God, that you would continue 
to work in us as individuals and as a church that we would be ever more faithful to you. And we are deeply grateful, humbly grateful for your love exhibited to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.